Welcome one and all to another episode of Paul or Nothing. This is Wide Screen Podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Of course, I'm your host Sam Wiles. Thank you all for downloading the show. Hope you're all well, safe, good, this and that. Today, we're going to be once again making up for lost time and catching up on our homework with our Catch Up Side series where we have been covering stuff and content that by all rights I probably should have mentioned this far into the podcast. So far, we've recapped on the Family Way soundtrack album and the Thrillington project. And for the sake of keeping things chronological, we're going to be moving along to the next thing that I missed out, Wing's first and only compilation album, aka 1978's Wing's Greatest. It's actually quite hard that it's taken me this long to get to this episode, as Wings Greatest was one of two Wings albums that I was first introduced to when my dad gave me both that album and Band on the Run uh, on vinyl when I first went to university in like 2011 or 12. So yeah, it's safe to say that even for a relative newcomer such as myself, me and this album go pretty far back together. Like the last couple of episodes, I'm going to start with a quick rundown on the album and its history before moving on to my guest of the day, Ethan Alexanian. Of course, you'll all know Ethan from the Fans on the Run podcast. And it was a breath of fresh air to have such a young and vibrant guest on this show for once. Someone who makes me look like an old codger, which is quite unique. Of course, Ethan being a young man, I think he's, what, 17 He's had even less time to absorb all of this Paul McCartney content than I have, which is exactly why I thought it would be so interesting to have him on to discuss an album of their greatest quote-unquote, quote-unquote, italicised hits. You know, the whole gimmick of this show is that I'm quite detached from a lot of the initial criticism and baggage associated with a lot of Paul McCartney's music, but Ethan being even younger still... I just thought it'd be a really fun episode to see where he comes down on a lot of these classics. But before I can get too nostalgic here, it's time for us to get on with and get through the housekeeping. Housekeeping! Sadly, we haven't got much positive podcast news this week. Sadly, my next chat with the Another Kind of Mind podcast has been pushed back till December, which sucks, but that's life. That's life! Can't wait to talk to them whenever I can, because we always have so much fun. Also, I do have to announce that my Give My Regards to Broad Street episode that I did with Kitto Tool, that was like over three hours long, that we recorded in the spring, and, you know, the one that I've been putting off completing for ages. Uh, It's been scrapped. It's been shit-canned. 
Sadly, uh, the audio just wasn't usable, so me and Kit are going to work at doing it again sometime in the future. Also, I believe this is the last episode of what I call Mike Gate, uh, the period in which I bought a brand new microphone, one that has been a bit more high spec than I've been used to. And yeah, I, I touch it and move it a lot uh, in this interview. Like you've heard on the last couple of episodes, this is indeed the last time it'll happen, folks. So sorry about that. Uh, won't happen again. <laughs> in better news, Keep your eyes peeled for an appearance I'll be making on the Blotto Beatles podcast, where you'll be able to hear me get very drunk whilst extolling the endless praises I will have on a certain Beatles song. I love these guys. I love their podcast. I always listen to it the moment it comes out. Love their merch that they also very kindly sent me. And I can't wait to record it. Can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, Updates coming up. In terms of Paul, we've had loads of McCartney 3 updates that I'll be putting together for a bonus episode later this week for when the single drops, if the Franklin single drops. So yeah, stick around for that one. And also we've had the release of the picture disc of We All Stand Together, aka the Frog Song, to celebrate the 100th anniversary slash birthday of Rupert the Bear. I was meant to buy this release, couldn't be bothered, so I didn't. And yeah. I'm sure I will cover Rupert the Bear and give it its fair shake as soon as me and Kit eventually sort out said Give My Regards to Broad Street episode. Anyway, pressing on. As always, best way to get in contact with the show is through our email, paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Let me know your own personal Paul McCartney stories, whatever they may be. Maybe you want to challenge me on one of my reviews or warn me about something in the future. Or maybe you just want to drop some heavy trivia on this show. Either way, hit me up at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Now, normally I don't really cover this kind of thing, but I did have a couple of lengthy, uh, helpful YouTube comments on my channel that I thought were worth reading out. I never want to be accused of someone who doesn't read out his own criticism. Uh, This was on the Hot Hits and Cold Cuts Part 1 episode. It says, Enjoying your podcast, and I have a couple of suggestions on how to improve it, if you can bear it. Firstly, you are much stronger when you have someone else there to bounce off of. You were great with the Glass Onion guy, great episode, and the Fans on the Run guy. So, I assume they'll be listening to this episode, considering the fact that I will be talking to the Fans on the Run guy. But the solo ponderous long slogs through Paul's mediocre at best albums? That's not so exciting. On the most superficial note, the show music at the start is deeply horrible. Deeply, deeply terrible. And the cleaning house stuff at the start goes on way too long. You've got to start the show with a bang, the way the other shows do it, before you lose me. I'm totally fine with the fact that you don't find 95% of Paul's solo stuff rubbish. When you're conversing with somebody lucid, I always learn something or rethink something. That's cool. On the other hand, Five minutes of discussing the merit of Cook at the House is five minutes I'll never get back. The next comment uh, from the same person was then found on my Venus and Mars episode with Ken Womack, and it said, Dude, some constructive criticism, briefly. Album breakdowns are not your bag. I learn absolutely nothing from your random musings about each song that I've heard a thousand times. It's a really lazy way to kill time. 
Your thoughts are valid as your thoughts, but they provide zero insight into the music. That's what we're here for. Insight and ideally some humour. Both very short on the ground here on this comically overlong episode. As well, you've got the brains to invite Mr Womack on your show. Let him talk! Your guest is so knowledgeable, he's forgotten more than you'll ever know about the Beatles. So, why aren't I hearing him? Instead, we're hearing you ruminate about you gave me the answer. Come on, guy. You know that makes zero sense. I want to hear from your guest. So, lots of work to do, but they are easy fixes. And yeah, quite heavy stuff there, folks, right? Thank you for the constructive criticism, you know. I, I know that I ain't exactly a David Hepworth level music critic. Uh, I could definitely read and reread a lot more books to, you know, make a lot of my poor knowledge, you know, second nature to me. And I do also have a tendency to get a little bit overexcited and talk over guests. But hey, that's me, that's my show. There are plenty of other more professional podcasts for you to go and listen to if you want to. And in terms of the lengthy opening segments of the show, the housekeeping and stuff like that, if you don't like it, then you can just skip forward. Like, you can pretty much guess how long I'm going to take with the housekeeping. Normally, I get to the episode in about five to ten, maybe eleven minutes. You know, just skip forward, skip back, you know. I always do little titles at the start of each section. Typically, when the instrumental music has stopped playing, that's when the housekeeping has stopped, so you can just skip past it. Fucking Joe Rogan does seven minutes of ads at the start of his show, you know, and all I have to do is skip them, and then I'm at the bit that I want to listen to. So, yeah, I have heard from quite a few people uh, to trim the intro down, both fans of the show and peers, but... I'm a little bit self-indulgent. I like to be a little bit wanky, and this is the show that I like to do. So I can only apologise so much. But anyway, I did actually reply to this person, who, like I say, is probably going to be listening right now. And once I came down off my lofty high horse and reciprocated contact, something rather interesting happened. Um, Please forgive my uber bluntness. I gain nothing from putting anyone down. I see ways to make the show punchier. I'm super impressed with the energy and devotion it takes to run these podcasts. Grateful you guys make the effort, and you younguns are miles better than a certain American group of Beatle podcasts who frankly just don't have a freaking clue. And they don't have any fun not having a clue. That's probably the real crime. Anyway... In the name of all things indulgent and time-wasting, we also have a couple of emails to pad out the runtime today, folks. And they are both linked by cracking little titles. Our first is from our stalwart regular in correspondence, Mr. Warren Butson, who is also one of our loyal Patreon patrons, but more on them in a moment. Anyway, this email is in reference to our Flowers in the Dirt episode and is titled Face in the Dirt. It reads, Hey Sam. Amazing work on this album project. The research you must have put in astounds me. Loved hearing all the interview excerpts and all the details on the protracted sessions over the four years to make the album, which everyone agrees sounds like it was all put together at the same time. I've only got a few songs into the pod with Ken. There is so much to digest from nearly five hours of podcasting. On the McCartney-Costello thing, I wholeheartedly agree that it was overhyped. By Macca. 
I think we can all agree Maka needed A, a lyricist, and B, someone to say that he's too drippy. But he would never accept B, and I really don't want to hear Elvis Costello get so involved in the melody writing, let alone have to hear him and Maka duet like some song from a bad Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. That said, I wanted to give my contemporaneous input from someone who was 22 when this album came out. First off, more than ever before or since can I remember so many return to form positive reviews. Most people thought Maka was either shit by this time this album came out, or worse, had just forgotten about him completely as a relevant artist. I think the feeling was the songwriter had returned, rather than someone trying to write in the style of the times. I also really liked the album cover. In hindsight, maybe it's not that great, but in 12 inches I loved the rich colours. I can't defend it, but that's my impression. I do have one gripe though. I felt like the album lacked balls apart from Gilmore. Everyone raves about the band of superb musicians, but unlike the current Macca band, they played too tight and contained. No one lets rip and it's all very polished, with no one daring to colour over the edges. Ken, I'm afraid though, is too close to his muse to be able to critique like you do. I find so much of your observation on the money, and his views just have no objectivity. There is so much Macca I can see faulting that I need to hear your pod more than most. I started listening to Fabcast, and they have some great observations and musical insight, but I disagree about how they slag Linda and Denny's voices, and say daytime nighttime suffering is rubbish. Anyway, Sam, keep it up bro, best Warren. P.S. I saw the Flowers in the Dirt tour, now that was special. Wow, thank you so much again Warren for your consistently high quality writings here, as well as all the ridiculously nice things you say, of course. Uh, I too have recently started listening to The Fabcast, as one of their episodes with Mark Lewison was particularly useful for the Flowers in the Dirt episodes. Although I do, I do have to argue, um, I don't think Ken's too close to his muse to be able to critique the album objectively. You know, this isn't Ken's first rodeo. He's all too aware of, you know, things that people who critique these albums can fall victim to, like overplaying and nostalgia and bias and stuff like that and I know he's approaching it with a certain degree of professionalism and never once does he say that you know Press to Play and Flowers in the Dirt are the best Paul McCartney albums objectively he says that they're his favourites you know and as a Paul McCartney fan myself how can I argue with that anyway Warren thank you for the email I'm glad you enjoyed the episode and always awesome to hear another perspective from someone who was living through such a fantastic time as the Flowers in the Dirt era the other email I have here today is from a first-timer by the name of David Wills, who is throwing his 10 cents in on a very specific Flowers in the Dirt-based issue. His email is titled, Pressed to Punk, and it goes like this. Sam, I was catching up on some of your recent shows, and I feel I must respond to, of all things, a letter sent in by one of your listeners maintaining that Americans revere Ringo because we didn't have punk and new wave or some such absurdity. And he's referencing there another email that we had in from one of our regulars, uh, David Jackson. He continues, I live about 15 minutes away from what was once the world's famous CBGBs in New York City, home to the Ramones, Blondie, Television and Talking Heads. This is literally the birthplace of punk rock. Other parts of the country, generally based around large cities, also spawned acts like Devo and The Cars. As someone lost to history once said, Nobody loved the Beatles like America. 
Indeed, we once had Timothy Leary declaring them gods incarnate, and to this day, the entire American rock aesthetic is indeed based around the music culture that developed after the Beatles. Every utterance of them is treated as holy writ, and I wouldn't be surprised if people here thought Ringo genuinely could cure leprosy with just a wave of his hand. While that's a very extreme and profoundly stupid way of enjoying the Beatles, an act that's far more popular abroad than at home isn't all that unusual. The Beach Boys were taken far more seriously in the UK than here in the US. All of those Elvis releases where they overdub an orchestra on top of, of his records shoot to number one over there but die a death in the charts here. Even the aforementioned Blondie is a far more successful act in Britain than in America. Now, I realise that it's a thing for Brits to get together and tee-hee about America. Many of us actually know who Morecambe and Wise were, and Frankie Howard, and on and on and on. But I simply had to address the whole, we didn't have a punk comment. To be fair, I've heard other Brits, including Robert Plant, say this too. I'm guessing he must have missed the Bowery on his way to the Waldorf. Take this in the light-hearted spirit it was offered. Enjoying the show, David. And again, wow, another absolutely awesome email there. Thank you so much for that, Dave. And your defense of the American punk scene was enlightening as it was humorous for me to read. Sadly, punk is a bit of a blind spot for me. So on the whole, I'm gonna have to defect to you, dude, and, uh, and your expertise here. Though, as a huge Talking Heads fan, I, of course, I was familiar with the notorious CBGBs and the fact that you live so close to where it once was is, oh, so incredibly cool. Um, though I never considered that Blondie or the Beach Boys weren't as big in America as they were over here. Like, I just assumed that because they're big in England, they must have an even greater success in the States. But but it turns out that's not the case, and that's something I'm going to look into. That's, that's really quite interesting. Thank you for that. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that email. And again, folks, if you too want to have your thoughts read out on this show, contact me at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Join us on our Twitter for day-to-day -day updates and random ramblings. That's at McCartneyPod. Check us out on our blog for all sorts of extra content at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube, simply by typing in Paul McCartney Pod or Paul or Nothing. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help us out rather immediately and rather quickly, I'd really appreciate a five-star review. Every time the show gets one of them, it boosts us up in the algorithms, it exposes us on recommended lists and stuff like that, and on charts. Hopefully people will see the show, check it out, download it. The audience grows. Everyone's happy. And hey, if you could write a little review or comment down below saying how much you enjoyed the show, preferably something akin to the emails we had rather than the YouTube comments, um, I would oh so much appreciate that. Thank you so much. Though, if you want to help out the show more directly on a more regular basis, then please consider becoming one of our Patreon patrons. Of course, as you all know by now, Patreon's a platform where you, the public, can support independent content creators such as me on a monthly basis by chugging a couple of dollars down the internet at me every month, you know, the price of a coffee or something like that. Of course, the show is ad-free. The show's always going to be ad-free. So the only way you can support the show if you want the show to grow or, or if you want to help just cover admin and equipment costs, stuff like that, please consider becoming one of our Patreon patrons. Obviously, we're past 100 episodes now, folks. That's hundreds of hours of content I've put up for free over the years. So if you've been absorbing all of that and you think you'd like to, you know, say thank you in some way, 
Maybe you'd like to join the list of wonderful patrons such as Stephanie Miller, Louis Dinlardo, Stuart Cook, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S., Sam Hode, Anastasia P., Robert Carabelli, Tony Vosol, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips, as well as our new patron, Teresa Breda, who has signed up for a dollar a month. Thank you so much, Teresa. Guys, girls, intersex, non-binaries, everyone else in between, thank you so much for your constant support for the show. You know, it always brings a warm cockle to my heart. But we don't want these intro segments to be too long now, do we? So let us cut to the context. Wings Greatest Explained. As always, folks, let's try and get this done in a page or less. Wings Greatest was a non-chronological compilation album by the band Wings, or Paul McCartney and Wings, whichever you prefer, and was the first ever collection of Macca's post-Beatles songs. It was released on vinyl LP, 8-track and cassette tape on the 22nd of November 1978 and would be their second-to-last album before they would disband after Back to the Egg the next year. This was the second album the band put out in 78, with London Town coming out in the spring, reaching number four in the UK and number two in the US. Whilst you may assume that this compilation may just be Paul trying to capitalise on Wings' clearly waning popularity in the late 70s and remind people of their earlier success, there was also another more salacious reason, another motivation behind this album's sudden appearance on the shelves. So, it turns out, in 1978, Paul decided to leave his record company, Capitol Records, and move over to Columbia Records, which, at the time, was the biggest record deal in history. Just as a little aside, though, uh, Paul would still remain with EMI in the UK to handle that side of things, and the move to Columbia would just be for his American sales, etc. Though... On that note, I'm not sure how much of a say the rest of Wings had in this switch. You know, Paul's just the bassist, but he's also um, making all the moves with their record contract, so... Hmm. Anyway, before Paul and the band could officially move to Columbia Records, they had to first fulfil their contractual obligations in the form of one last album. You know, it's kind of like the Beatles with Yellow Submarine and United Artists. You know, Wings has to churn something out to fulfil a contract. You know, it's not exactly a passion project, shall we say. And since Paul definitely didn't want to give Capitol Records anything too good and certainly wanted to save all of his new material for Columbia Records, he decided instead to cook up a rather undercooked compilation album instead. Because nothing screams like filler contractual album than a compilation. This collection would total 12 songs. On side one, we have Another Day, City Love Songs, Live and Let Die, Junior's Farm, With a Little Luck, and Band on the Run. Then on side two, there's Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, Hi Hi Hi, Let Him In, My Love, Jet, and Mull of Kintyre. Five of the 12 tracks being Another Day, Junior's Farm, High High High, Mull of Kintyre, and Live and Let Die, all made their official Paul McCartney album debuts with this compilation, which meant that for the casual Wings fan, this was an almost essential purchase. Now, in theory, the reason behind the selection of these songs was that they were, in some form, in some way, a hit. But, as we're going to get into later, as you go through the chart success of these songs, you swiftly realise why this album isn't proudly and directly called Wings' Greatest Hits. It's just called Wings' Greatest. 
because that's the catch. Wings had a lot of successful singles, but they didn't have enough number ones to fill an album back to back. And I know that rubbed McCartney the wrong way. Rather notoriously, this Wings album features a single from Solo McCartney and a song from Ram by Paul and Linda McCartney. This already messes up the Wings canon entirely, but not only that, despite being featured on the poster, Wings Wildlife and Venus and Mars have no representation whatsoever. And I can understand that Wildlife didn't have a single, so it, it wouldn't have a hit, but listen to what the man said from Venus and Mars was a US number one smash. Talk about sin of omission. Rather like Red Rose Speedway, this album was originally intended to be a double disc release. Now the official Macaganda narrative behind Wings Greatest being only a single disc is that McCartney decided it would be more commercial to have it as a single disc release, which is true, but Wings Over America was a massive success and that was three discs, but perhaps the middling success of London Town put Paul off this idea. Also, a double disc would mean a lot more cost and a lot more risk for Capitol Records themselves, and they're gonna probably still be feeling pretty sore that Paul's leaving them in the first place. So they're probably not gonna put that much effort into it on their part either. And finally, a double disc is gonna force Paul to include the less than stellar five-star singles in the, in the Wings canon, which we know he would do now, but during Wings, during such a tumultuous time in his career, he wasn't gonna do that either. Sadly though, this results in Wings Greatest being one of those awfully forced and obligatory albums that just didn't have the love put into it that it deserved. The semi-iconic album cover depicts a golden ivory statue atop of a mysterious mountain backdrop. I, personally, I love it. Always have. Uh, I, I love the, the bright blue sky and the crisp white snow, and the statue's just such an intriguing prospect. You're like, what is this? Where did this come from? Well, turns out Linda randomly bought it at an auction in 1978, and the story goes that Macca saw it and instantly thought it would be great for the next album cover. The rest is history. The statue itself was created by famed Romanian art deco sculptor Dimitri Chiparus, or Chiparus, who is described on the ever-reliable Wikipedia as one of the most important sculptors of the art deco era. It's not a small statue either, folks, um, and it must be really heavy, considering it's around 24 inches or two feet tall, you know, a third of the height of, it, of the average man. And things get even funnier when you're considering how far they lugged this thing to take this photo. Now, the album cover photo shoot for Wings Greatest is kind of widely known as one of these examples of Paul just straight up spending too much on his album and their production and eating into potential profits. Of course, the statue's really cool. It is, and it's a great album cover. But did he really have to photograph it on top of a mountain? Yes, folks, at someone's expense, likely Capitals, Paul flew himself, Linda, the kids, and a photographer named Angus Forbes, who, was, who had only ever really done album covers for a group called The Chieftains, all the way up to the Himalayan mountains to get this shot. Now, there was no need for all this expense. They could have done it on a set or recreated it with some kind of artwork, but McCartney is McCartney, his word is law, and, you know, there's even a part of me that's wondering whether this whole shoot 
isn't just Paul having a little bit of fun with his remaining time with Capitol Records and seeing how much he could get away with financially for a giggle. The rear cover photograph was taken by Clive Arrowsmith, who you will all remember as the photographer for the front cover of Band on the Run, as well as the rear cover for Wings at the Speed of Sound. Now, what's rather fascinating about this shot of Paul, Linda and Denny is that it's been noticeably altered to fit the current lineup of Wings. Yes, the, the original photo on the outer borders had included then drummer Joe English and then lead guitarist Jimmy McCullough, but they had both left the band this point, and just like Denny Sywell and Henry McCullough, they were unceremoniously ejected from the project entirely. Despite the title and humorous advertising campaign that you will have heard at the start of this episode, Wing's Greatest wasn't exactly the smash hit that either they or Capitol Records would have wanted. The highest it would chart would be in France at the number two spot, and then it's all downhill from there. It got to number five in the UK, though it would actually be officially listed in the charts for a further seven months, indicating a, a kind of protracted mid-level popularity. Then it would drop to number eight in Australia, number 18 in Germany, number 20 in Norway, 24 in Japan, 25 in Canada, and wow, number 29 in the States. You know, less than two years after Wings Over America? How does that work? Maybe America was just a bit burnt out. Maybe the world was just a bit burnt out on Wings at this point. Who knows? The only mildly prestigious review of this album I could find was from the GOAT himself, Robert Christgau, and it was so in line with my own opinions I couldn't help but read it out. And it goes as thus. 12 songs, five of them hits, not on any previous Wings album, running 54 minutes 11 all in all, replete with rhythm shifts and sub-themes and counterplots and flights of fancy and forays into abject nonsense. In short, pop for potheads. All I could ask for is a stylus width scratch across my love. B+. Rather strangely though, despite the kind of less than stellar success of this album and the release of other more comprehensive Macca compilations, Wings Greatest was remastered and reissued in 1993 as part of the Paul McCartney collection and again in 2018 as part of the Paul McCartney archive collection though they didn't update the track listing with either release. So I'm guessing this album literally has to have some sort of nostalgic significance to Paul personally, because if it were up to me, and I'm sure the, the, the money men and the suits, they would add something like, listen to what the man said, at least, you know? Anyway, as far as I'm aware, that's pretty much everything you would ever need to know about Wings Greatest before getting into this episode. And with that being said, folks, let's cut to the semi-live feed where I can bring on today's guest. Right, one, two, three, go. Right, folks, now that all that is out of the way, it is time for me to introduce today's guest. This is his first appearance on this podcast. You may have heard him on When We Was Fab with Ed and Lonnie rather recently. Uh, before me, I might add though you will more likely know him as the host of one of the new podcasting kids on the, the block. The Fans on the Run podcast is a cracking new show by Beatle fans for Beatle fans, and it literally has everyone in modern Beatle media, including yours truly on, where they discuss all things Beatles. Everyone, I'm glad to have him on. It, this is the fresh lifeblood that 
makes me look old by comparison. This is the youngest man in Beatles podcasting. Ethan, how are you now. doing, young man? Yeah, for Young, now. Youngest for now, until some fucking seven-year-old shows up. A little savant who's, you know, who can yeah. play all the songs from All Things Must Pass or something like that. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm glad to finally have you on the show. Welcome to Paula or Nothing. Uh, I'm glad to finally be here. It, it's just nice to get out of my own <laughs> podcasting world. No, um, I've started recently appearing on other shows as well, and it does, well, and my, it, it, actually, it does feel good. I don't want to interrupt you. My show's not that new anymore. People keep saying, like, oh, the new kid. It's, I've, I've been doing this for about six months now. I mean, that's still fairly new. You've been doing it, what, four years? About four, probably coming yeah. up to five. I've probably got about a year's worth of success, though. Like, I really, yes. I, I, you know, I really, I really. And was that like a year ago? <laughs> Def- yeah, definitely. But that's. So, Ethan, I always like to start these new interviews with the most English question ever. Okay. So, um, where are you calling from and what's the weather like? I am calling from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. And the weather is not raining. It's just about that time of year where we can pretty much turn the air conditioning off. For once. For See, once. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, air conditioning being commonplace is such an alien idea for all of my English listeners, I am sure. Um, does Canada have any major claims to fame in terms of the Beatles? I'm, I'm guessing they toured there a few times. Yeah, they they played in uh, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, some of the uh, most interesting Beatle records in my collection are Canadian exclusives that mm. we, we got the Beatles on Capitol before the American. So we had the, the, with the Beatles album out pretty much in the same week that the British one came out. Whereas the Americans got their shitty meet the Beatles, like a couple months later. Finding out that the Americans had had different albums with different track listings, it really scarred me in a profound way when I was a young man. I was like, good God, what what do you mean they changed Beatles albums? Show me the man who did this. Well, the, it kind of works in reverse for me because some of my first exposure or my first exposures to early Beatles music was through my mom had a ripped copy of the Capitol Albums box set on the computer. So the first time I heard, like, you know, I saw her standing there was, oh, it's it's on this album, Meet the Beatles. Or, oh, the Beatles' second album with Roll Over Beethoven. And it took me a while. It's like, oh, wait, so they're different. They're different in England and everywhere else in the world. They are strange. And we're going to talk about the idea of, the old vinyl media having a certain impact on uh, the importance of track listing and having different uh, configurations of albums and having different yeah. songs on albums and having them on a single, for example. Um, I was talking with Ed and Lonnie on When There Was Fab, very, very recently, actually, about the Hey Jude album. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I wouldn't buy it now. It's completely defunct as a product now. But back in 1970... Oh my God! Yeah, I would love to have Lady Madonna and Hey Jude and Old Brown Shoe on a on a vinyl all together, where I don't have to keep turning it over every few seconds. Do you know what's my favorite bit of Asinine Beatles record trivia? Go on. The Spanish copy of the Blue Album, sixty seven to seventy, 
omits one track. That's the Ballad of John and Yoko, because, because of the, the, the yeah the Christ the Christ reference. Yeah. No, because of the it's like you can get married in Gibraltar near Spain. Spain thing or I I don't know too much about the issue, but there's a debate over the ownership of Gibraltar. And so the the Spanish government banned not it. on the, not on this British podcast. There's not Ethan. It's a it's a bloody God British territory. Oh. No, I've been and I've seen the monkeys and climbed the mountain, the big rock of Gibraltar and stuff. It was really exciting for me because it was the only place on on holiday where I could buy a DVD in English. Really. <laughs> Yes, and I, I, for, for some reason, I was like 13 and I bought Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Uh, totally no Beatles or Paul McCartney references in it whatsoever, so we'll never cover it. Okay. How is your Beatle collection coming along, though? Have you made any new purchases lately? I made a trip to the record store, you know, all safe, of course, with my mask and my hand sanitizer the other day, and I picked up a... Uh, copy from your neck of the woods of McCartney's first album. Well, not his first, but the self-titled McCartney album. Mm-hmm. It's not a first pressing. It's on Capitol. I wish it was on Apple, but, you know, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. That's what, five pounds? Yeah, and it's certainly much cheaper than the the half-speed remaster. That's Which I also did. What, I, I got it like a month early because I don't understand the release for that record store day thing like some places around the world got the half speed master mccartney in august my local stores were among them so i i was able to snag it then okay that's cool even though it said it was coming out in september even here in canada but it just showed up at my record store i remember being so disappointed on the day of release of egypt station because of how bad it is you wash your mouth out with soap and water, young man. I was disappointed because I was expected to get there and there'd be like a, a crowd of screaming uh, Apple <laughs> scruffs like waiting for this album. And they opened up the shutters and it, it's just me. Just yeah. this pasty, thin, gangly white guy. Oh, hello. Could I have one Egypt station, please? Yeah, because uh, we're not going to sell any of the other ones today. I feel like I was in the only shop in the UK that wasn't like selling out of that album massively. Uh, ironically, though, Ethan, that was in Wolverhampton. Okay. A little reference to an off-air conversation earlier. Hi, Mum. Hey. Recently, myself, I had a bit of a birthday binge. Managed to pick up, come together... Uh, let it be love me do the singles uh, all, all all the singles yeah and then i got a couple of other early ones i think i got um i want to hold your hand and uh, there's another one in there as well but i realized um, a couple of weeks ago wow i've got none of the early singles and i was quite shocked that i didn't have something and come together as well i should have called it something come together earlier not come together something my gosh i'm sorry george i'm still on the lookout for I mean, I, I really want to get a complete set of those original British singles. I, I have like an original copy of She Loves You, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and I Feel Fine. Okay. My, my favorites, though, I, I do have a good number of these. Have you ever uh, come across those 20th anniversary picture disc singles? 
what where the pictures are actually on the on the vinyl itself. Yeah, I've definitely seen some in like plastic mylar bags in yeah in in, in record shops. I don't own one. I'd rather go for. I think it was like the late seventies or it was a seventies reprint where it's just just very nice cardboard uh, sleeves for everything with like nice pictures on the back. Yeah, and they've got the. Is it the one with the green? Yes, it, that's yeah. Yeah, I've, I have yeah. I have the box set of those. Jesus Christ, you're worse than Tom Honeyardi for embarrassing me on this show with everything yeah. that you own that I don't. Don't worry, I don't own the suitcase. That that suitcase is like a millstone around that man's neck on this podcast. <laughs> like every every time he's mentioned, he kind of mentioned the suitcase. Yeah, I, I'm surprised he didn't get like the deluxiest version of the flaming pie no but the joke's on me because like he doesn't talk about me on his show so it's a, it's just me giving him free air hey tom what's going on bro uh, <laughs> who's he who yeah um, the thing is i i said that because he i think he liked it when i when i had you on my show and i said who's he he messaged me it's like who's he that's funny <laughs> oh i forgot one more interesting find it's my new favorite record I own. I'm always a sucker for weird bootlegs with uncomfortable covers. And so okay. I, I picked up, for a bit of a pricey sum, a Beatles album called Fuck. Uh, right. Well, I'm going on Discogs while you speak right now. Yeah. It's a, it's a bootleg, and the covers, it looks like the American Help album, but the Beatles are naked with scarves around there, like junk. Hey junk love it okay yeah yeah I, I can see it right now it's it goes next to my collection with that album the beatles versus the third reich is that the beatles white power or is that a different one? no but that's also one of my biggest regrets is i saw a copy of that album for sale in a record shop and i looked at it but i didn't buy it and so oh. I've been I've been looking for like the past two years for a copy of the Beatles' White Power. Yeah. So what's the one that you have then? Sorry. Uh, the Beatles the th- versus the Third Reich. Is that like all their German cuts or German? It's just uh, the, a pretty low quality version of the Star Club stuff, but it's got one of the best covers ever of a Beatle bootleg. There's a whole fake uh, Alan Williams write up thing. Oh, okay. It's a take on the uh, VJ American album, The Beatles versus the Four Seasons, where, and then on the back, it would say, like, you be the judge and the jury, you decide which one's better. And they have all these fake, like, German things. Oh, okay. But, That's yeah, cool. It's, it's, it's awesome. My gosh. No, I've really had to restrain myself from, like, not leaping feet first into the world of Beatle bootlegs because I've my... I've restrained myself. Like I I only own about four. Only four. Only four, Governor. Officer. It's just my wallet wouldn't thank me, Ethan. It really wouldn't. So anyway, on to the specific compilation album that we're going to be discussing here today. Here today. That's an old joke I haven't done in a while. The album, of course, is the nineteen seventy eight compilation Wings Greatest. Uh, so, Ethan, what do you think of compilation albums in general, uh, you know, best of albums? Are these items that hold interest to you as a young man in the post-internet streaming age? Um, some do, some don't. 
if I may quote uh, one of Canada's best exports, the kids in the hall, uh, <laughs> greatest hits albums are for housewives and little girls. Well, that's kind of how Paul McCartney's father-in-law felt when all the best came out. He yeah. said that it's a sign that an artist is like creatively bankrupt and their career's over. <laughs> so there is a little bit of credence to that. But I, I like a lot of those really weird, well, they're not too weird, 70s Beatle compilations when like the Beatles had absolutely no influence. And so it was rock whatever, and roll, rock and roll love. music, love songs, real music, basically whatever EMI decided would sell. I'm surprised there wasn't an EP called like Indian Music or something, you know. They definitely could have squeezed that out. The only people who were better were uh, was Capitol Records of Mexico because they, they put out so many EPs and there were like, I think about seven EPs just of George songs. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, that probably sounds better than the actual uh, George Harrison Greatest Hits album, which is oh. half Beatles songs. That's yeah. Uh, well, like, that's and, what that's, that's and what it's got the, it's got a different cover on different sides of the Atlantic. Okay, I can't believe that that George Harrison Greatest Hits thing is real. That's like one of those we can't like. That's proof there's no God. <laughs> so. I guess, like, in this modern age, we kind of, we make our own greatest hits albums now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no need to have an arbiter kind of decide that for us. You know, uh, we make our own playlists on Spotify. Spotify will have recommended playlists. You can see your friends' playlists. That That's why you sent me a message one day out of the blue. It's like, man, I forgot how good Mellow Yellow is by Donovan. And I went into a fit of paranoia, like, how does he know? How does he know? And then I realized, oh, wait, no, there's a, like, we're kind of connected on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, no, no, like, these algorithms all know us very, very well. Like, whenever you see something, quote unquote, that's recommended for you, it's through millions and millions of streams and hours of data all compiled together that, you know, it knows you better than you do. (laughs) So it's Skynet. It is Skynet, and we can make no compilation albums in the future, but for what we make ourselves. Exactly. Um, oh, that was that was clunky. I probably I probably could have done a better one than that. Uh, <laughs> come come he, with me if you want a compilation album. You're you're talking to the king of clunk right now. Because I mean, even if you look at the the last two quote unquote greatest hits or compilation albums that McCartney himself put out, Wingspan, Hits and Histories, mm-hmm. and Pure McCartney. They were essentially not, it's not like Beatles 1, where it's like, these were the number one tracks. It's like, oh, okay, this is McCartney going, yeah, I kind of like this song. That's a, that's a good one. That's a Do you have the, the Pure McCartney box set? I actually don't. It was, it was probably like the last thing that came out before I became really deep into McCartney uh, and really started to get like into that groove. I've got a very vivid memory of the HMV in Birmingham. The big, rec- the big record store. It had a poster. You don't have to explain a- to me what HMV is. My my Pierre McCartney story also involves HMV, but in a different that, way. That's hilarious. The big poster though of of him with his manly ram beard is like emblazed into my mind. Like I st- I still see it when I close my eyes. I-, I bought my copy of the the vinyl box set the day. HMV announced that they were closing all their stores in Canada. 
So I rush. Oh. So I rush to the thing, expecting there to be, you know, like a sale. There wasn't. So I, I paid full price and didn't take advantage of any of the, you know, going out of business stuff. So I, oh. I paid full retail price for Pierre McCartney. See, I'm just old enough to remember back when vinyl was actually cheap. Like, I was just on that cusp. And I remember buying, like, Magical Mystery Tour, the American version, for, like, £2.50 for the <laughs> whole album. You know, what, four bucks, five, you know, six Australian dollars, maybe. And you'd never get that now. That that Beatles prestige is is posted right back on the, the price tag now. Someone tried to sell me a copy of the Let It Be single without a sleeve for a hundred dollars. <laughs> Jesus. God, I bought that for like seven pounds. No, my gosh. I mean, if someone's willing to pay him for it, then good then good luck to the guy. Yeah. Um, a guy once while we're on this tangent, tried to sell me a copy of Sgt. Pepper saying it was an original UK mono pressing and that like he would normally sell it for 90, but he was doing me a favor and he'd sell it to me for 60. Wouldn't let me look at the record. And then when I got home, I opened it up and it was, it said stereo right on the label and it was not a first pressing. Uh, I mean, could you write to customer services or was this some shady? Well, I, I ended up getting a deal. It was at a farmer's market. Oh, okay. So luckily we we were able to storm back and kick up a fuss and I got my money back. <laughs> he wouldn't even let you look at the record. You'll never fall no. for that one again. Oh, yeah. So back to compilation albums. Um, you don't even really see them in the charts anymore. No, except for like Queen's Greatest Hits which has never left the charts for some inexplicable reason. Especially since the Bohemian Rhapsody film came out, uh, that went right back into the top ten over, over here again. Oh, yeah. Same over here. Sadly, the only time you really see a compilation album anymore is either from some weird third-party tiny record label that just puts out weird esoteric, like, oh, the greatest hits of Leonard Cohen, not approved by the Leonard Cohen estate whatsoever. Yeah. The very best of Dave D. Dozy Beaky Mick and Titch. The Bonzo Dog and the Doodah Band greatest okay, hits. Okay, hold yeah. on. I will not allow any slander of the Bonzos. <laughs> I love the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band so much. I'm bored. The only other time you see a compilation album, though, Ethan, is like, oh, Michael Jackson just died, and you go to the record store. Oh, suddenly the front shelf is just filled with this brand new Michael Jackson compilation that they've managed to pull out their ass somehow. Yeah. And it makes like, you know how. It's like newspapers... they almost killed him just to put out the album. Well, this is my theory. Like, newspapers have obituaries written up years in advance, or like, you know, if a celebrity is ill, you know, they can write the obituary ahead of time. Do you know, what, think was, do you know what was the strangest thing? What? When Bowie died, like, the December or like the, the previous year, they had like just put out a compilation of like, it was like a big comprehensive Bowie thing. And then. You know, he died just in time for it to mm. become like a bestseller. And then they put another compilation album out that same year. They put like a Prince compilation out within like two months of him croaking. 
Oh, it's so shameless. And there is going to be a poor one, sadly, at some point. Oh, yes. Um, and there'll be a really terrible Ringo one as well. And Tom will buy the suitcase, or in this case, the coffin. The coffin edition. Yeah. <laughs> it's like £800, but you get an original demo of Robber's Ball or something like that, you know. You know, it comes with a lock of his hair, one of his fingers, and the original <laughs> multi-tracks to We All Stand Together. Yeah. Oh, no one, no one's going to pay for that. All 48 takes. We mentioned this off air. The idea, though, that compilation album is, is defunct now, it's kind of irrelevant because it's something that kind of existed for the, for the format of, of LP records. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned the Hey Jude compilation album. If, you know, if you've got all these songs in one place and you don't have to get up every five minutes and change over these seven-inch singles... And, you know, it's all safe and together in one easy to carry package. Five minutes if you're lucky, if it's like a long one, like Hey Jude. Like I got that Beatles singles collection that just came out last year. And having to get up every two minutes to flip over a side or put the record back in a sleeve and pull out another record. It Mm. makes me never want to buy a seven inch single again. No, like I've had these days. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit in the lounge. I'm gonna sit in the front room and just have a Beatles singles day. And within like 20 minutes, I'm like, I'm tired. Like I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just gonna put Pepper on again. Something else I've noticed though, and especially with Wings Greatest that we're going to be discussing today, when you listen to these songs in a new order, it does allow you to like appreciate them in a new way and recontextualize them slightly differently. You know, my largest reaction on this album would have been with with a little luck when I first heard it. But I don't think I would have had as a, a stronger reaction if I'd heard it on the London Town album. So I think there's I think there is something to be said for listening to all of these hits in the way that McCartney presents it to us. Are there any other greatest hits albums or best ofs from uh, other artists that, that are quite notable for you? Other greatest hits that are quite notable. Well, with with the Stones, you got uh, big hits, High Tide and Green Grass. And then there's the one with the Octagon cover, uh, Through the Past Darkly. Uh, what else? The Who, Meaty, Beady, Big and Bouncy. All got awful titles, these compilation albums. All of them so far. Oh, <laughs> what else? Notable compilation albums. Like, Abba like- Gold. Abba Gold's a good one, actually. I didn't I, have I, that. In, yeah. I love that. I love Abba in general. All of the compilations that I'm kind of aware of are all ones that are just part of my vinyl collection, like um, Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits from '72. Yeah. Three. I've got three Lennon ones, like Shaved Fish, the yeah. Imagine soundtrack, the, the John, John Lennon collection. Lennon. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, I think every single university hippie has the John Lennon collection on vinyl. You know, yeah. it's, it's a very standard. But those, 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 those three Lennon compilations. I, I only picked up a copy of Shaved Fish this like February. Again, another terrible, terrible title. But over here in the UK, you see all of the Lennon compilations in every single record shop. Like they're overflowing with them. Is that is that the same in Canada? I don't know if I'd go as far as to say overflowing, but the the John <laughs> Lennon's actually I'd say they're more so overrun with copies of like Double Fantasy, and like Milk and Honey, and then like the John Lennon collection 
and shaved fish. You then you'll see occasionally like imagine. It's always just indicative of what's sold. I don't think I've ever seen Imagine or Plastic Ono Band anywhere that's not like behind the counter where you can't touch yeah. it. It's only one, one of those, ooh, can you take it out of the cardboard packaging? Go yeah. on then. Another good compilation album that I've always loved, a big fixture of uh, driving holidays in Spain. We had uh, Stevie Wonder's The Definitive Collection mm-hmm. from 2002. And it, it is everything you need to know about Stevie Wonder. Like It just trims the fat of his career perfectly. I can't think of a single song that's missing from there. That's not just the entirety of songs in the key of life. But you know. now, now I'm thinking all about compilation albums. There's, there's got to be more that I. Well, yeah. yeah, you know, you've obviously got the big Beatles ones that we mentioned earlier, the '70s ones. But then you've got Red and Blue and yeah. Beatles One, and and then we we're, we have a new John Lennon compilation to look forward to. Another one. Another right. one. With, they, they, couldn't even, they couldn't even be fucked to come up with a new title. So they just took the one from the last compilation, Give Me Some Truth. Oh, it's just called that again? Yeah, they, they had the one back in like 2010, and they're doing it again, but it's a different box. And these, these ones are the ultimate mixes, which, which is weird because they have a lot of the songs from Imagine on this new thing. But they had like the big Imagine stuff last year with Ultimate Mixes. So uh, are are these new Ultimate Mixes? Like, Ugh, yeah, these this... are the Ultimate Mixes twenty twenty. But uh, yeah, onto on onto today's album, Wings Greatest. Um, Ethan, I know you're a relatively new Wings fan. Was this an album you were that was you know you were all that aware of? Had you listened to it in in full, or was it just something that was in the background for you? I, I did not own a copy of Wings Greatest until maybe last December. My uncle gave me a copy. I, I had known about it because, you know, in on my mom's iPod when I was a kid, she had like Live and Let Die and the album cover that would show up was the Wings Greatest cover. Okay. And so I'm like, I strongly associate that cover with Paul McCartney. It's a great, it's it's a fantastic cover as well. Like that whole statue yeah. on the mountain top, uh, taken by Clive Arrowsmith. Does that statue did, still exist? I think it's still there to this day. Oh um, wow! Am, amidst like frozen corpses of mountaineers, you know. Yeah, I believe it's the same photo. Sorry, it's the same statue that you see on the front cover of Back to the Egg as well. Oh yeah, which is, a, which is one of the one of the few like running visual gags in kind of the Wings canon, like. It'd be great if it turned out like if you had a super high res picture of the band on the run pictures, you know, you, you could see that statue in the in the background somewhere, you know. Yeah, it's a it's all subliminal. Or if like on the cover of London Town, he had a rose in his mouth too. I would love a a, a red rose speedway callback. We are overdue one. We really are. Well, we might get one with the alleged McCartney three that's coming out later this year, if but, it like, comes out. No, but no, but it would it, it would be a, a a coronavirus mask with a rose on it. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't like sold that in store or like his online shop because they they've done that with like they sell like Frank Zappa masks. Like my friend John Montagna, he posted a video of it was like the cover of the Zappa album Apostrophe, but it's a mask of like Frank Zappa's lower face. Oh, the kind of big, hairy, mustachioed. Yes. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. What does it smell like? It smells like hot rats. Yeah. No, my uh, friend Tom definitely wants to do a, a Frank Zappa podcast one day. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Wings Greatest. It's a kind of a... It, it's a weird product, really, because it was kind of invalidated only 10 years later with all the best. Which I, I uh, think is a much better compilation. Yeah? You like all the best? I, I like all the best more than I like Wings Greatest. Not a very good album cover, though, for all the oh, best. Oh, it's terrible. Have, have you seen the commercial for all the best? Oh, like, oh, oh is there an, an actual TV spot for it? Yeah, there's like an advert where like Paul's guitar is disappearing. It's, there's animation over top and it's really cringy. Very 1987. Oh, no. Uh, it's only 30 seconds long. <laughs> oh no is this this is the cheesiest thing i've ever seen in my life i take it you're watching it oh my god it is awful that that whole the, the whole concept though that that the front of that album it isn't this really um mature reserved minimalist statue on this mountaintop that's actually quite you know it's quite bold on a greatest hits album to not just have the fucking band on the on the front of it. Well, it'd be hard having that with Wings because apart from Paul, Linda, and Denny, it was like a rotating cast of characters. So it would probably be outdated by the time it reached store shelves because they would have already gone through six new members. That's so true. I, I didn't even think about it that way. Um, I mean, Jimmy McCullough is mentioned in Junior's Farm by name, but he's not on the on the back of the album in in the photograph. It always seems like Wings members always leave just before a new album's about to come out. You know, exactly. Band on the run, everyone leaves. Wings greatest, everyone leaves. Tug of war, everyone leaves every time. Well, tug um, of war, it's you know, Wings was basically just deleted from existence. No, I am convinced that we don't know the full the full story there. Uh, whether it's Paul withholding information, I don't know. But um, or it's, it's definitely maybe Denny mess- Lane bending the truth. Depends which books you read, I suppose. Yeah. Although the image is important, but also the title as well, because it's not Wings Greatest Hits, and I think that's key. It's just saying Wings Greatest, so it kind of lives in this weird limbo land between a greatest hits album and a best of album you know so what what would you say is the distinction 
Well, I was I was listening to Ken Michaels talk talk about this on two legs literally today, and he made the the distinction that a greatest hits is number ones, you know, charting singles, mm-hmm. and then a best of will include you know non singles and deep cut album tracks stuff like that. And I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with that assessment, I guess. Especially if you look at like Pure McCartney again, that's certainly a best of. You know, you're not going to get a, unless there's some weird Ukrainian release of Bitbop that I don't know about. The thing is, you, I think you just willed it into existence. There probably is now some like <laughs> some weird edit of like old Siam sir on some like Yugoslavian 45 that has like four extra seconds. Oh, it's got an extra four seconds of offensive Japanese stereotype music. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think McCartney was making with this? Did you think he, he was conscious that Wings technically didn't have enough quote-unquote hits to fill up an album? So he's just kind of calling it the greatest? Like, is McCartney trying to pull something here? I, I don't know if he's trying to pull something. The, the track listing, as I'm sure we will get into, doesn't make... A whole lot of sense calling it Wings Greatest. Yeah, there because are two there solo are, McCartney songs. Well, yeah. there are Wings like singles that charted, like some places they were even like number one that aren't on here. Which doesn't make any sense yeah. at all. But Another Day and Uncle Albert are on here. I mean, do they feel out of place to you? Are you are you glad to have them in this collection? They don't feel out of place. Maybe Uncle Albert feels a little... Actually, no, they do feel out of place. <laughs> yeah. How so? Well, they are, they're both 1971 McCartney songs. To me, those early, like those first two McCartney albums are very distinctive. And, you know, it sounds different from the rest of the record, in my opinion. Yeah. It does highlight two things for me. One that the transition, especially with the experimentation on Ram with the Linda McCartney vocal harmony stuff, like the transition to Wings was actually a lot smoother yeah. and gradual. Than I, I know Ram was yeah. probably, you know, more Wings than... McCartney won. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. But then the flip side of that, though, is that since Another Day and Uncle Albert fits so well and the flow isn't interrupted at all, it kind of just highlights the fact that Wings is just Paul McCartney at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I think that was, you know, the intention. Even against it, what well, even against his bandmates, Denny Lane, like basically just saying, look, we all know what's going on here. I think they probably knew that from the beginning, though, to be honest. How much of that is like self-denial? Because, I mean, even someone in, in the McCartney camp could have just gone also like, look, Guys, no one's going to care whether this like, is if, solo if someone call or turned up to. I think I don't remember where I heard this, but if you you turned up to a Wings gig in the seventies and they announced Denny Lane would not be there, I don't think anyone would leave and demand a refund. But if they announced, oh yeah, Paul McCartney's not here, but you know, Wings is still here. Yeah, I think people would you know rush the doors. Lauren, no, guys, 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 stick around. Yeah. Lawrence Jude is going to do Maisie. Hold on, wait, Den- Denny's going to do Go Now. Remember? Again. He was in the Moody Blues for like five minutes. 
and he's on their worst albums. Yeah, I remember yeah. that bit. Oh, yeah. worst album. He didn't even make it on more than one. Oh God. He he oh, he left just before the album Days of Future Past with Nights in White Satin and Tuesday Afternoon. Something that interests me with this whole Wings Greatest conversation is that essentially it's it, it's less of what do you think about the songs on the album, and we are going to quickly cover what we think of all the songs on the album, especially since this is your first time on it, the show, Ethan. It's the but, context. Yeah. The real discussion has and always will be, if you get rid of Another Day and Uncle Albert, what do you put on this album in its place? Uh, I have sadly, opinions on uh, that. Good, good. I'd like to hear them. Sadly, this is coming out in, in 1978, so we are limited by that physical obstacle. So we can't get anything from Back to the Egg. You can't um, have Good Night Tonight. Well, I'm, I'm, I know I'm it was sure. recorded like two months before, but, you know, which I, is that's crazy. Not, that's not enough time. Ah, all right. I guess I guess we'll have to technically not not include it. But of course, with with all the best, that was going to have water spout from the London Town sessions. So the idea as well that Paul could possibly include an unreleased Wings Colker isn't isn't totally well, out of the question either. He, he could have easily, you know, instead of those or my least favorite song on the album, My Love, he could have put on, you know, like Lunchbox, Old Socks, My Carnival, something like that. The Mess or Soily, Best Friend. Mm-hmm. I don't think Denny Lane's I Would Only Smile is going to make it on. Mm-hmm. Water Spout, again, a big contender for that spot. But we do have a list of actual contenders that would, you know, more mm-hmm. more fit the theme. I, I was shocked when I, I looked at the album again and noticed, like, that's what the man said is not on here. Yeah, so listen to what the man said from 75's Venus and Mars. That did reach number one in both Canada and the USA is not on. And Venus and Mars has no representation on yeah. this well, retrospective. Could've, they could have even put on, you know, Venus and Mars rock show. Letting Go could have gone on as well. Yeah. Or the, the live version of Maybe I'm Amazed. Yeah, the live version of Maybe I'm Amazed from Wings Over America, that's a big gap. Instead of, you know, Another Day or Uncle Albert, they could have even had like, oh, but that would have been too controversial. Give Ireland back to the Irish. Because that was, you know, it reached number one in Ireland. Oh, yeah. And to have a band record on your greatest hits, that's pretty, that's a, that's pretty cool. I mean, if you're putting Another Day and Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey on this album and you're kind of breaking canon that way, why not just go all out and put the studio version of Maybe I'm Amazed on this album? Well, Paul McCartney and Wings, or Paul McCartney and Wings Greatest doesn't have the same ring to it, you know? Yeah, but Another Day has got nothing to do with Wings, nor does Uncle Albert. So could we... uh, I guess it wasn't a single. That's that's the big obstacle here, but it should have been a single, wasn't it? No, because it was it was it was coming out during uh, all of the Let It Be stuff, oh, yeah. and they couldn't have uh, conflicting singles. The Maybe I'm Amazed Live from Wings Over America that did do quite well. That did chart. So <laughs> again, another contender 
I wouldn't mind Mary Had a Little Lamb being on oh, there. I, I would mind. I love Mary Had a Little Lamb. Come on, leave it alone. Leave it alone. I mean, you're not going to have Seamoon or Sally G on there, even yeah. though both of those songs technically still did chart. Uh, Ethan, I, I have no clue. I was, talking, I was talking about this the other day, how like how they know whether people are playing the A or the B side and how both of them can chart. It's like, no, no, doesn't the disc chart? Yeah. Like, you can't tell if someone's playing High, High, High or Seamoon, but apparently they could. Sally G charted as well, which I didn't know. You could have also put Helen Wheels on yeah. this album. That would be... Th- Three from Band on the Run, though, which was, I just was nineteen hundred and eighty-five a single. It was a B side. I think it was the B side to Jet in America. Okay. Do you know what's funny though? Again, with this vinyl, you know, weird track listing. I know. I think it's the Bulgarian release of Wings Greatest doesn't have uh, "Live and Let Die." Because of some contractual thing with uh, the Bond people. Oh, okay. That's interesting. It was actually the first time I actually ever heard Live and Let Die, like, properly, was through this album. Like, it was just one of those songs that I'd always kind of known about. Like, oh, yeah, I know. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And then I'd mostly been more aware of the Guns N' Roses version. Yeah. Well, I, I first saw it in the movie Shrek the Third when I was, like, four is Live and Let Die in Shrek the Third. Wow. It is. You see, that's my least watched Shrek movie, so no wonder I don't I don't remember that. It, it's mine as well. It's it's inferior to Shrek 2. Uh, see, the big divide with Shrek fans is whether Shrek 1 or 2 is your favourite, but this is not the podcast for that. Either. To each their own. Uh, finally, the last contender for this album, possibly, like, Love is Strange... Uh, Wildlife never had an actual single, but Love is Strange was proposed, and maybe this would have been a nice little Easter egg for the Uber fans. You know, you put on, listen to what the man said to give us your Venus and Mars, and then, oh, here's this unreleased single from Wildlife that could have been a greatest hit, but sadly, it never was. Yeah, Helen Wheel's probably not chosen because you didn't want to dominate it in Band on the Run stuff. Actually, I just remembered, there was a second Paul McCartney compilation in the 80s, another Greatest Hits. Uh, It was called Give My Regards to Broad Street, because every every song on that record, you know. Very true. Actually, no. Actually, no. Press to Play was the... I guess, like, Give My Regards to Broad Street is like a... It's it's a compilation. It's yeah. a best of. I, I meant that as a joke, because I was trying to pick a bad Paul McCartney album and say it's a compilation of greatest it's, hits. It's but it is, like a, though. It is a it, compilation. And it's a remake of, of stuff, which is just so conceptually strange. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what I would pick though. I think I think the um, the consensus overall is that everyone wants to listen to what the man said to be on this album. <laughs> so I think we'll agree with that. But I I honestly don't care about you know the front two tracks of side A and B. I just don't want my love on here. My love's the one you want to take off, is it? But yes, unfortunately, it was a huge single, and we will. Well, we people will... have bad taste. Let's get to that song when we come to it. Okay. We'll we'll burn that bridge when we get there. Oh, definitely. First up, we have Another Day, which was recorded on the 12th of October, 71, during the Ram Sessions. 
and was released as a non-album single in late February 71. Every day she takes a morning bath, she wets her hair Wraps a towel around her as she's heading for the bedroom chair It's just another day Slipping into stockings, stepping into shoes Dipping in the pocket of her raincoat It's just another day At the office where the papers grow, she takes a break Drinks another coffee and she finds it hard to stay awake It's just another day It's just another day exactly starting off here with one of the biggest hits ever but it still sold huge amounts of units worldwide it was still a paul mccartney single in 1971 yes it very much so number five in the u.s number two here in the uk and number four in canada but it was still a number one in both ireland and spain so worldwide at least the fans are still rabid for this stuff Ethan, what are your thoughts on McCartney's first post-Beatles single then? Well, Sam, I I like it. I I really do like it. It's nice, you know? There's not much substance. I don't think it's the best way to start a Greatest Hits album. Yeah, I've always thought it was a nice way to, like, introduce you to Paul. Like... It really does thematically fit the idea of a post-Beatle Paul McCartney solo record. And if you do look at this album in this way, I think it works slightly better. Um, I mean, in terms of chronology, it's all over the place. And, you know, there's 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 no kind of theme or, no. uh, you know, narrative flow to it. Like, oh, we go from A to B, yeah, like the anthology. Or on the back cover, it's like 1971, 1976... 1973, 1974, 1978, and 1973. There's no pattern. Unless there's some sort of Fibonacci sequence that I'm not aware of. I think you have to consult the I the Ching to work yeah. out the uh, correct order to listen to this album. I guess um, this is a song that draws a lot of attention to the fact that this is a Wings Greatest Hits album and it isn't a Wings song. Like we mentioned earlier, though, I don't think people would care all that much. Uh, this is a song that I've never had all that much opportunity to talk about here on the show, actually, because it, it doesn't appear on any major album, bar this one. And I wouldn't agree with the term light. I, I, it, it, it's kind of a, a fractious song. It's a little all over the place. It's not quite committed to one of its ideas. And it does have a lot of them. And it does keep the song very fresh and dynamic and, it, and it's always changing and moving. But I do understand and I do sympathise with the idea that it's a bit sparse in its arrangement and 
its guitar work and melody can like stray a little close to like junk, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I Next know what up, you mean there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what you'd change though, because it's magic how it is. I, I wouldn't change anything about the song. It's just I would change where I put it on the album. Okay, where would you put it on the album? Maybe I, I feel like it'd be a really good track too. Okay, not a huge jump then. What what would be your opening track though? Well, the songs on here that I would think would be good opening tracks were uh, opening tracks to other albums. <laughs> you know, let them in. I'm thinking, oh that 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 kick it off nice. But then I realized, oh, they already did that. Or Jet. Band on the run, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just so I'm not making a complete asset out of myself, Jet was the first song on Band on the Run, right? It's it's not, I'm afraid. Band Fuck. on Band, Band on the Run's the first song. Okay, on then, Band on the run. okay, then Jet. Jet would be the perfect opener. No, I get that, and it is strange that Jet is so late on this album. I would yeah. I would have thought that 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 they would have played that card sooner. For me, possibly Live and Let Die would be the other contender to open this album. But I wonder if there's like contractual reasons as to why they can't do that. Anyway, on to the second track. We have Silly Love Songs, recorded 16th of January 76 during the Speed of Sound sessions and was released as an album single by the 1st of April 76. Ethan is where we're going to be catapulted into uber success, but only in the US because this was only a, a number two hit, oh, only a number two hit here in the UK. But yeah, in the States, it spent five non consecutive weeks in the number one position, which means when Diana Ross's Love Hangover took the, the uh, top spot, Silly Love Songs went and took it back. Yeah. So not only was it the biggest single of the year in America, but also in Canada. So it was pretty big. Oh, yes. I can't speak for the UK, but I'd say that's probably his most, you know, played song on, like, classic stations. It's Okay, that's, in, that, that's interesting. You know, as, as big as Mull of Kintyre is, you know, you don't hear it that much. 
I think you definitely hear it more in Canada than you do in the States. But we'll get to that. It's interesting, though, that a song that has such obvious disco overtones, you know, in uh, for you know a genre that's so supposedly dead, would still be one of his most played tracks. I yeah. like that. And... You know the fact that the song is still being played to this yeah. day o- only helps like reinforce the the protest themes within the track. You know, mm-hmm. like you know people still want silly love songs in 2020. Probably we need them more than ever. I imagine. Yes, which I love that the song again. It's a very a very kind of shallow observation, but it's a song about silly love songs. But it is also a silly love song. Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't help himself. No. Yeah, he's he's Paul McCartney. What's he gonna do? No, you you could do like a, you know a hard rock version of it. Yeah, it, it, or no. whatever they did with "Give My Regards to Broad Street" with the white face paint and the Paul McCartney skunk stripe hair. Yeah, I believe me and Kit said it looked like a, a production of Cats. Yeah, so I showed it. that to my friend, and he, I thought he was gonna have a stroke. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a very unsettling image um, from yes. from a movie of many unsettling images. Yes. And we're going to finish our talk on Silly Love Songs there because the only other thing people can ever fucking talk about with this song is the amazing bass line. Oh, it's... It's killer. Yeah, and what more can be said on it? Nothing. So we'll press on to Live and Let Die which was recorded in October 72 and released early June here in the UK and mid-June in the US. When you were young and your heart was an open book You used to say didn't know Ethan was that Live and Let Die was the most successful Bond theme up till that point reaching number one on two of three major US charts though it only reached number two on the on the regular Billboard 100 okay it got to number nine on the singles charts here in the UK and the respectable second place spot in Canada it was also nominated for an Oscar and a Grammy and I was going to say, I would have thought this would have been the main staple of McCartney's radio play in 2020. It's, well, it's, now that I think about it, it's kind of three that are in rotation. You hear Silly Love Songs, you hear Band on the Run. And Live and Let Die. Yeah. And occasionally you hear Jet. Yeah, Jet is only if people are getting bored of Band on the Run, I guess. Yes. No, but they are his most palatable tracks I guess you know they are his most three songs <laughs> they are three songs all right yeah and they out are of by all him. of his catalog those are three of the songs in them what's that from I don't know 
That's from something. That sounds like a Ruttles joke. <laughs> Out of all of the songs in his career, those three are three of them. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a quote, but I, I just like saying that kind of sentence structure. Like, <laughs> I've, I've said about my show, like, out of all of the Beatles podcasts, this is one of them. Oh, yeah. I think I might have just been thinking of a quote from you there. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. So, Ethan, I've literally just done an episode on Live and Let Die, both on the song and the film. So please take the floor with this one. What are your thoughts? This is probably the first Paul McCartney song I was really familiar with before I knew who Paul or the Beatles were. Same for everyone, I think. I think that's true for all of us. This was the song on, like, my mum's iPod that I would hear in the car. And it's just, you know, it was in Shrek 3. (laughs) And, you know, I always loved the... And then it goes borderline ska reggae in the middle. Yeah, which is a Linda move, apparently, one of her all-time biggest contributions, which is pretty crazy, really, that one of the biggest songs in in Paul's career has... You just mentioned Linda, and I just remembered something that could have been on this album, but probably couldn't have for legal reasons, Uh, Seaside Woman. Seaside Woman is another one as well, and I would have liked that too, because uh, he would have been a, a lovely little yeah. but it would uh, have nugget. they're on different record labels yeah and it's not made by wings it's made by Susie and the red stripes whoever they are you know yeah. those uh, those mysterious people yeah whoever they are they'll use it as like the opener for the encore typically and it'll just be and it'll be bow 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 it's like whoa 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 bring it bring it back now come on I think they did it as the the closer when I saw them. And so there were like fireworks going off at the end. And then I proceeded to get stuck in the parking lot for four hours afterwards. No. So I remember having a real anxiety about the fact that me and my family, we left a Stevie Wonder concert early. We we left during the encore. That when I we had to do that when I saw Paul McCartney for the first time. Oh. We had to leave just as the first encore was starting. Oh so, gosh! So, so like he's just starting up like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band or something. No, he was like playing Day Tripper, and oh, I, wa- I <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to get like the tour book, and my mom said like it's gonna be like so hectic out there. We gotta get this and get a taxi now. Yeah. And so no. I, we didn't even make it yeah. to the second encore with like yesterday and the Abbey Road stuff. Helter Skelter. Uh, you, uh, you can just buy Paul McCartney Gets Back and play it at home. Yeah. Yep. But I, I did yep. see him a second time. And, and I stayed, did. But, I stayed. I, my mom wanted to leave like halfway through, like carry that weight to make an early exit for the parking lot. I'm like, no, we're not making that mistake again. I'm Sit sta- down now. I am standing my ground. Yeah, I was, I, I was too drunk to leave. Like, I, the only way I was able to get out of the building was just kind of standing between people who were already walking in the same direction as me. Please tell yeah. me you aren't like an obnoxious drunk at concerts because that, that was something that kind of hindered my experience seeing McCartney in Boston. There was this obnoxious drunk guy behind me. He spilt my or he spilt his beer all over my new Paul McCartney tour shirt. And he was like shouting like, like he had a stoked hat on. 
And like he said, oh, the next song is going to be one from Sergeant Pepper. And the guy started shouting, play Sergeant Pepper. Oh, God. Oh, God. What a fucking twat. Jesus. So, yeah, third song in, we've got two really big hitters so far with Silly Love Songs and Live and Let Die. This was definitely the first song that I was aware of as well in terms of the wider Paul canon. Back before you were, you know, talking all Paul all the time. Yeah, essentially. And, you know, he was always there day one. And... I don't know what it is, you know, I am extremely nostalgic towards this album. I don't think I've, I've, I've praised it enough in this chat with you right right, right, right now, because I am so gosh darn cynical, but I do have such a nostalgic affection for this album. And I, I do think there is something to be said about the triple hitter that is Another Day into Silly Love Songs into Live and Let Die, because it, it ramps up the intensity nice and slowly. We get a very peaceful, lightweight, throwaway track. Then we get the kind of ultimate silly love song, quite literally, and now we're on to live and let die. And now we're gonna we kind of get to crank it up to eleven a bit and rock out, and that leads us into another rocker, which is Junior's Farm, that was recorded seven July seventy four during their little trip to Nashville, and it was on shelves twenty fifth of October the same year. <laughs> Junior's Farm only got to number three in America, number 10 in Canada, and number 16 here in the UK. Ethan, this was, was a song that took me years to listen to as I got into really? Wings. Yeah, and I know you're a relatively new fan, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. How did it take you years? It's a good song. I just never liked that. Oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. That, that's like my favorite part of the song. No, it's, it's the chug-a-lug that comes after that. It's almost quite like Jet, really. But that's the bit of the song I, I like. Yeah, the dung, 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 Like, that's the most interesting <laughs> part for me. I've never been the biggest Jimmy McCullough fan in terms of the songs that aren't written oh, by him. Easy, easy there. Um, you know, I much prefer Medicine Jar and yes. Wino Junko than Junior's Farm any day of the week. But yeah, this was my introduction to Junior's Farm. I'd never bought the single. I'd never listened to Wingspan at, at this point. So this was just this one weird little song that I only had on my Wings Greatest LP. So we do go back in that respect. But 
it really wasn't until I saw McCartney perform this one live that it really made sense to me. I was like, oh, that, okay. I was going to say that too. This song, okay, this is really showing how unfamiliar I am with the McCartney catalog. The only way I can describe the song right now is the one that goes, ho, hey, ho. Oh, uh, Mrs. Vanderbilt. Mrs. Vanderbilt. It was that and Junior's Farm that, like, you know, really hit me at the concert when I saw him mm. the first time. Oh, what I would have given to have heard him play Mrs. Vanderbilt. You're a lucky man. In fifth place, we have With a Little Look. And as with most of the songs from the London Town Sessions, it was it's, first recorded... It's crap. Oh! Oh, right, well... We'll get to this shortly. It was uh, recorded in the Virgin Islands on the Fair Carol in, in May of 77 and was finished in Abbey Road in December of 77. It came out 20th of March in 78. And whilst only making to number five here in the UK, it did reach the top spot in both Canada and the US of A's. So, Ethan, this is an album that's pretty uh, divisive. Uh, okay. Clear, you know, clearly. With a little luck, I, it, it's not the worst song on the record. I, I, I kind of like it. Kind of. Kind of. That, that's as far as I will go. Are you not into super stoned, uh, wanky, twiddly synth, Paul? Oh, no, I love that, Paul. It's just, uh, there are few songs... Uh, by Paul McCartney that, you know, make me as, you know, just bored as lo- the title track from London Town. Oh, no, the title track is terrible. Yeah. Um, the whole side A of that album isn't that good, though. Uh, Cafe on the Left Bank's pretty rubbish. Get Rid of Cufflink and Backwards Traveller. Which I think's Traveler. funny. Like, side A of London Town's crap, and side B of Back to the Egg is crap. Side with B. like, with like one or two exceptions, Arrow threw me's on side two, isn't it? That's one of the exceptions. Yeah, obviously, yeah, I was going to say, Rockestra, get it out of here, though. I've, I've... Get it out of here. Get them out. Oh no, what's that? Oh, that no, that's from Goodfellas, isn't it? Have uh, you seen Goodfellas? Yes. You know, you know when Henry's caught selling cigarettes at yeah. the start. Like, get him out of here! Get him out of here! No, it's okay. I'm shocked that you don't like with a with a little look though. Oh, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I mean, there are better songs on the album as well, like Morse Moose and the Grey Goose. I wouldn't mind that on any Wings Greatest Hits album. Even though okay, I, fucking... I did like that one. Yeah, because it's 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 a modern Paul Rock song. You know, 
but it's on a, a weird 1978 Wings album. Uh, for me, though, this is a story that I've told loads on this podcast before, but this is the album that it actually happened with. My dad gave me his copy of Wings Greatest, and I took it to uni, and I imbibed on some on some uh, foreign herbs, shall we say, and uh, I got into a very emotional state, and it was the extended version. Um, I think I'd, I'd heard like the short single version somewhere else before, but it's when it it's when it breaks down, and just cuts, cuts to the boom 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 it's that really high pitched it's almost like a little sea shanty moment yeah and i just i couldn't stop crying it was like the most emotionally overwhelming moment of, of my entire life i was like oh my god this is so fucking good <laughs> I, I, I couldn't handle it i was really upset by how good the song was and I've been chasing that dragon ever since. I really have. Oh, man. Last song on side one, uh, we have Band on the Run. Never heard of it. No, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a minor track from his discography. Yeah. It was recorded twice in Lagos, Nigeria, during September of 73, and released in 74, April 8th in the US, and June 24th here in the UK, which is quite the release gap. I've never actually looked into why that was. Put a pin in that one, Sam. Yeah, this was another huge success for Wings, garnering the number three spot in the UK and secured their second number one single in US, New Zealand and Canada once again. Uh, Ethan, this is another song on this episode that I've recently covered. So please tell me your thoughts on this minor track. Well, I don't really know what there is left to say about Band on the Run. It's... This is going to sound weird. I like the second half of the song more than I like the first half. I, oh, I so li- you, you yeah, like- I like the synth in the opening, but, you know, I, I think it really gets good when the acoustic guitar kicks in. Like, yeah. I've played this song with my friends quite a few times, and the, there's nothing that compares to how badass you feel during the second part of this song, during the... There's a part of you that wants to just travel to an alternate dimension to see what Paul McCartney would have done with a whole song that sounded like the middle part of Band on the Run. But just when it kicks in with the... 
<laughs> You've got your C and your F chord down then, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Nice, easy chords there from Paul. It's not it, it, it it's not like learning fucking Beatles chords with all their bars and Oh yeah. Uh, extra you need seven fingers to play some Beatles songs, you know? You know, it, you don't really have any of the, like... <laughs> Those no, are, like, um... the two Beatles chords, in my opinion. Like, that I, I notice a lot when I'm listening to, like, early Beatles tracks. It's like, oh, they're pulling that one out again. I always see B7. You always see B7 in Beatles songs. Exactly. And, it's, and it's, You always... Sound, yeah. Gorgeous. And... That that B7 shape was, like, the first thing I played when I got my hands on, like, the same model of Rickenbacker, the 325, in a music shop. I just, oh, you know, wow. I just, you know, I had to do it. The rhythm if guitar I, part, I saw her standing there. Which Beatles guitar would I want? Like, the obvious one is is the, the violin Hofner bass. Well, but those but are fairly attainable. They I, are. I, I have, like, the... Hoffner Indonesian version, although it's badly set up at the moment. <laughs> nah, maybe uh, George's Gretsch, you know that huge oh, one. The, that's like that's like a which giant. One? Which one? The big the, the the big red one. It's in like the Bodakan footage and stuff like that. Like oh, the the Tennessean. Yeah, the huge one. That, the, the one that's the, bigger the than him. The single cut. My dad made guitars for thirty years. I know fuck yeah. all about about about, about guitars. Um, I think it's that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not <laughs> the. It's the one that looks more similar to the Les Paul body shape, and right. not like the, the double cut, with the two horns. Anyway, yeah. moving on from <laughs> Beatles. Beatles. I, I guitar could talk. Chat. I could talk, talk about Beatles guitars all fucking day. Yeah, I mean, again... One the... of the, the most exciting moments in my life was when I got my hands on the Rickenbacker 360 12-string in Chicago, and I, I got to sit down in a room and just play it. And, oh my god. Me, I'm just happy enough having, you know, the Beatles rock band instruments. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still have my rock band drum set in the basement with the black oyster pearl finish uh, I I love that game so much I love that game so much so we open up side two of Wings Greatest with Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey from Ram recorded on the 6th of November 1970 at CBS Studios in New York and was released as a US only single on the 2nd of August in 71 we're so sorry Sorry, but 
apparently this went straight to the number one spot over there, which makes me question more as to why this uh, quintessentially British song succeeded, uh, whereas like Mull of Kintyre didn't, and also why Uncle Albert wasn't released well, as a single over here. Number one in the US. No, uh, it was Girls' School that was the successful one, I believe. What? Um, yeah, every, uh, the Yanks they love Girls' School. Don't know what it is. Well, uh, you know, may, uh, maybe like in Boston, where you've got like a big expat community, yeah. Mull of like Mull, Mull of Kintyre would have been played. Well, but the, I, the McCartney in the Commonwealth countries plays it live. He didn't play it when I saw him in Boston, but he did play it when I saw him in Hamilton, Ontario. Did he play Givarden back to the Irish in Boston? <laughs> he did not. That would have been, been so cool. People would have. It would have been, been even cooler if he started playing "Luck of the Irish" by John Lennon, or if he just started playing "Sailing Out to Boston." Yeah. It's just oh shit. Uh, with, 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 with Paul's a was like voice. an hour late to the show in Boston. Really, I've never heard of him being late. That's crazy. Yeah, and it was really hot out, and it was. I, I saw him at Fenway Fenway Park. Did you see him drink water on stage? I think I have seen him drink water. That's like seeing a rare Pokemon, man. That's yeah. insane. Uncle Albert Avril Halsey sold a million copies immediately, garnering Macca his first gold. It sold 500,000 copies, and Tom Hunyadi only owns 350,000 of those copies. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, if you have multiple copies of Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey and you're holding out on me, uh, we'll, I, have, we'll, have, we'll have strong words. I, I, uh, I can't. I don't know when this episode will be out, so I may have already been on two legs. You probably have, um, unless you're listening to this all in the future, folks, and this is all in the past. Uncle Albert also won the Grammy Award for Best Arrangement Accompanying Vocalists. Billboard ranked the song as number 22 in the top pop singles in the US chart in 71. So a lot bigger than I ever really thought, actually. Um, this isn't a song that comes to mind when I think of a Paul McCartney hit. But uh, Ethan, you know, we, we all love Ram here on Paul or Nothing. So what are your thoughts on Uncle Albert? Oh, Ram's my favorite McCartney album. I, I love Uncle Albert. Good lad. Good boy. I, I love it. It's very, again, you said it's very British. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. But we haven't haven't (laughs) done a bloody thing all day. Yeah, there is another element to that that is uh, sadly missing from foreign listeners. There was a a British sitcom here called Only Fools and Horses, and the main uncle character was called Uncle Albert. And he goes missing one day, and like they're sorry because they've had a big fight, and they played this song. So, possibly even before Live and Let Die, I was very well aware of Uncle Albert Admiral Because Halsey. of Only Fools and Horses. Because of Cheeky Del Boy and Rodney. And, um, but they never played any of the other parts except for just the, we're so sorry. They just play that part. So when I picked up Ram, like 10 years later, and then I hear, heads across the water. I'm like, it was so enlivening. Yeah, it was so exciting. And, you know, better or worse, this was the song that introduced me to Ram. So I'm indebted 
in that sense. Because without this, you wouldn't have heard Monkberry Moon Delight. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, uh, another song that should have been a single, and I would love if that track was on Wings Greatest, but that's definitely uh, a Berenstain, Berenstein universe issue, I guess. Next up, we have one of Wings' first singles, High, High, High. Depending on your sources, High 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 was recorded either in September or November of 72 for Red Row Speedway. It was then released on the 1st of December 71 and was properly banned by the BBC here in the UK, though it still managed to creep up to the number five spot. It got to number 10 in the States and strangely enough went straight to number one in Espana. going through all of the Wings studio albums, but we haven't really spoken all that much about non-album singles. So tell me about High High High. What do you think? I I don't really. I, I love it's you know, I'm not too familiar with it. I've I've heard it. I like the we're gonna get which I, I don't need to say, you know, the part where it goes because that's the song. And I'm I'm embarrassing myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love, I, I, I love that bit, the chorus. Yeah, yeah, I like <laughs> that bit in the song where there's like Paul McCartney. I, I like that bit in the song that is the title. <laughs> Last word on, on high, high, high. I guess, even though it's not a Red Rose Speedway official track, you know, it doesn't have a picture of Paul with the big red rose in his mouth. But it is from those sessions, and it, it is nice to see such a maligned album as Speedway have as much representation as something like Band on the Run or Speed of Sound. Yeah. Speaking of Wings at the Speed of Sound, we've got Let Em In. Ding uh, dong, ding dong. Yeah, which would, um, you would have liked to have, to have started the album, but unfortunately it starts the actual Wings at the Speed of Sound. Uh, this was recorded uh, 4th of February, seventy six. Came out the uh, July twenty third the same year. Somebody's ringing the bell. 
open the door I let him in yeah. I let him in And upon its release it managed to get the number one position in the US Adult Contemporary Charts the US Cashbox Top 100 Charts uh, but uh, it, it only got to number two or three on the Billboard 100 like it always seems to, to do that with Paul yeah. Um, similarly, though, uh, in too Canada, many charts. It, yeah, I, I don't get how any of them work. Uh, okay. And I'm, well, he I'm, said, I know Cashbox used to exist. Like it used to be a separate thing from Billboard. Billboard has like different categories. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, like in, in the UK, they used to have like record retailer, NME, like all the different charts. Yeah, I don't want a company, like, I almost want there to be a government body that looks at this kind of thing. Like, I don't want some private company just being like, yeah, okay, we just say that this is the number one album right now. Like, there's no vetting. Like, is there an internal affairs that makes sure that people aren't fiddling the numbers here? So you want, you want pop music to go full-on socialist, government-controlled? No, government-measured. Government-measured. <laughs> Yeah, just to make sure that the number yeah. one's the, num- the number one. Yeah. Speaking of weird charts, though, this got to the number one spot on the adult contemporary charts in Canada. Reached number three in standard single charts again. And here in the UK and Ireland, Let Em In got to number two, which is very, very admirable. What was number one? Ah, oh, I'll have to try and have, have a look, but... Whilst I'm doing that, Ethan, tell me about Let Him In. I I, I like it. I, I feel like I'm not contributing too much when it comes to these songs. Other than, I like it. I like the doorbell part. <laughs> I like the bit when he says the title. I like I like the bit where he starts saying people's names. Yeah, and, and I can't and believe their he, family he, relations. He he needs to change the the names every time he plays it live. I've realised this now. He should change it to like you know local figures in the town. Yeah, or people that are in the news and the tabloids that day. Ethan, when Paul played this for me live as well, I, I lost it. Uh, I know we mentioned earlier going on setlist.com. Did he, it, did he play it? Um, yeah, in, but at the O2 in 2018, uh, it was it was the smack bang. Right at the start of the show, it was really early on. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the set list from the first one. He he played, out of the songs on this record, he played Junior's Farm. He played... Um, Jet Band on the Run, Let Him In. Miss, uh, Mrs. Vanderbilt's not... He played Live and Let Die. I missed High, High, High in one of the encores. Yes, I do remember him playing High, 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 but... I, I guess I, I must have just skipped Let Him In or I didn't remember it. And when he, and when you first heard those doorbells, it just chills down your back. It well, was fucking amazing. The, the part that was like that for me was when I heard the first like few synth notes of Temporary Secretary. Oh, I would have just started crying then. I, did, I basically did. <laughs> I was screaming. Ah. Yes! And then there's just loads of stuffy middle-aged people around you going, what's this rubbish? What's this tosh? This isn't letting go. 
Then we got My Love, recorded October of 72. Uh, he'd already been playing it live for quite a while but by this point, and it was released 23rd of March, 73. Big hit for Wings, their first big hit, really. Uh, topped both US Billboard and Easy Listening charts. It was number one in Canadian Easy Listening, number two in regular Canadian singles charts. And in the UK, it was only a number nine, but this was back when a top ten hit was, you know, it still fucking meant something. And when I go away, I know my heart can stay with my love. It's understood. It's in the hands of my love. long before for some reason uh, that My Love was the second most covered solo song written by a former Beatle since their breakup behind My Sweet Lord yeah I'd always heard that My Love was the third most covered song of any of the Beatles like it was Yesterday Something and then My Love how? I'm not sure where where, where, where I heard that cite your sources parroting some fits and some fake news yeah, Ethan, this has always been a controversial song for me here on this podcast, but it it is it a great... Oh, I can't stand this track. It's, okay, it's, good. I hate this it. Is, this is the worst song on, on this album. I listened to this song twice today before we did this episode in like a last-ditch effort to like connect with it, but it's still the pinnacle of these like lame, doe-eyed, dorky love songs. Yeah. Like this is this isn't silly love song. This is a dorky love song. He he just doesn't look cool here, or come across as like this slick rocker, and like people think like Mary had a little lamb is like peak cringe for him, but it's not. This is, and to hear that you don't like this song as well gives me great hope for the next generation, hope for the future, and hope of deliverance as well from this crap song. Um, I will always be. So, what's your problem with my love then? Just, just doesn't I, connect with you. It doesn't connect with me. It bores me. I, I wish, I wish it nothing but pain. And just like silly love songs, you have to talk about the Henry McCullough solo because that's the one piece of trivia that everyone talks about. With my love, penultimate song. My got... love doesn't do it good. She does not. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, Penultimately, we have Jet, recorded not in Lagos, Nigeria, but entirely at Abbey Road Studios in September 73, and was released worldwide as the first single for Band on the Run in early 
one of the lowest placing hits on this album. And yeah, you know, it's still a hit that everyone seems to know. It's my uh, favorite on on the album. Really? I, on I, this album or on Band on the Run? Both. Really? See, Jet to me has always been like team sports. Like, I understand. Uh, and I'm glad that other people get a lot of pleasure out of it, but it's just not for me. See, I, I don't get it. I don't get that feeling from this. I, I just feel raw energy, like wings, you know, at their peak. Don't get me wrong. I love the chorus and that, like, chug-along bass. Yeah, the, the bit where they say jet. Yeah, the bit where they say jet. And I love that like root note mode that's been played back on that like yeah. Bow, 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 bow. I was gonna mention the synthesizer. That that, that just adds to the whole thing. The synthesizer solo is pretty cute. You know. Yeah. I I I can't get enough of the early Moog synthesizers. No, uh, early Linda synth, back when you could tell she actually still fucking played it. That's the peak stuff for me. But I think she kind of hit a, a wall in like 75 and she just kind of never really had much of a, an impact on the albums again, really. Even though, you know, she'd be on things like Cook of the House and stuff. But, yeah. you know, they're more, you know, that's more like a, a, a token gesture. Finally, Ethan, we come on to Mull of Kintyre. This was recorded on the 9th of August and released on the 11th of November, both this, in 77. This is the kind of song that makes you want to fuck a sheep. thought that about a song before but this is definitely a, con- a-, a-, a contender if I had to think of one yeah that's not even like a spur of the moment thing of me just saying that I've genuinely thought that before like it's I find the song like cumbersome if that makes any sense clunky I've, I've, I've never felt patriotism before but I I'm I'm feeling very defensive right now over over Moloch, over Moloch entire because this is like this sold more than she loves you. Oh, it I know. Was, it was one of the best selling singles of all time here in the UK. It was a number one uh, Christmas single. Uh, it sold more than two million copies. But being a number one <laughs> Christmas single doesn't matter because so is the Mr. Blobby song. Yeah, but this is—it's not a Christmas song though, and that's what's amazing about it. 
it's like when Rage Against the Machine won the Christmas number one song here a few, yeah. uh, a few, a few years ago. This is always a weird question to ask anyone not from the UK. So, like, what what does Mull of Kintyre like mean to you? I guess is the best is the best way to put it. I know people who like it. It it just doesn't connect with me. Some people think it's really beautiful. Some people think it's schlocky. When I saw McCartney, he brought out, like, a local bagpipe group. Yes. And I thought that was pretty cool. But, you know. When he came out live for me, he brought uh, a children's choir to do uh, Wonderful Christmas Time. Oh. When yeah. he saw... Oh, man. I. Oh, that... That would have been... If this album had been released, like, a couple months later, that could have been on here. Oh, that yeah. Was 79? See, if they'd have just waited a, a, a couple of years, this, you know, you, you would have had Good Night Tonight on there. Well, if you'd waited a couple of years, you would have ended up with All the Best. Yeah, you really would have. To be, to, 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 to all be the Best is just Wings' greatest, give or take about 10 years. Yeah, and then and then got Wingspan not, short, not too long after that as well. I'm still kicking myself because I saw a copy of Wingspan for sale, an LP copy, for like 150 bucks, and I didn't wow. buy it. And I, I don't didn't. Think I, I think I've seen an LP of Wingspan. It's not that different. The logo's smaller, but that's it. <laughs> the only bit of Wingspan merch I have got is the book by Mark by Mark Lewison. Who? Um, who? <laughs> I was tempted to take it when I went, 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 went when I went to see his show, but I, I was so embarrassed I couldn't I couldn't ask him to sign something. Well, um, I, I I posed with him with a Rolling Stones album. I have no shame. <laughs> That's funny. I, uh, have I sent you that? No. I'm I'll, standing I'll, there I'll, with I'll him at like twelve thirty in the morning at the Beatle Fest with a copy of their Satanic Majesty's Request by the Rolling Stones. See, I think if I really wanted to impress him, I'd take like some Benny Hill merch or something because <laughs> he's written loads of books on Benny Hill as well. So that's how you impress Mark Lewison by going by by like singing that to him. Or well, like I I probably dress in a gorilla costume first <laughs> and like and then like chase him with a policeman. Like I think he'd love that. Some then, like nurse. And yeah, and having some nurse with some big boobies, and then have and then go. Ooh. Oh my god! So that brings us to the end of Wings' greatest. This isn't a, a review episode, folks. This has just been a bit of a chat about the album and compilation albums. It's just an excuse for me to chat with Sam again. Yeah, come on, let's let let's not mince words here, everyone. And with that being said, Ethan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm finally glad that I was able to return the favour and have you on here. I'm Pleasure's sure got, all mine. Oh, and we've and we've and we've got lot, lots of irons in the fire for the future as well. Um, so yeah, final thoughts on Wings Greatest is is this a must purchase for a Wings fan, or is this something that they can just stream online? I mean. I would not be the right person to ask because, you know, you need to buy every compilation, according to me. You need to buy every <laughs> release that has ever been put out. Well, he has reissued Wings Greatest. So it's not it it's not like he's like banished it. 
to the no. recesses of time. You know, this no. is something that he's he's thought to himself. Oh, this is good enough that I want more people to be able to buy it if they want to. Yeah, so, I mean, Driving Rain hasn't been reissued, but Wings Greatest has. Yeah, I mean, have, have you seen a vinyl of Driving Rain at all? I I saw a copy once. Once on a blue moon. I I didn't entertain the thought of buying it. No, uh, I, I almost bought a copy of Flaming Pie for like hundred and fifty dollars. And that's the original as well. Ooh. Yeah. You could probably have sold that now and then bought the deluxe re-release. Yeah, but I still want the original. I get that. I get that. So, Ethan, just before we start wrapping things up here on the show, where can people find you? And have you got anything going on for Fans on the Run? That's right, Sam. (laughs) The plugs. Uh, Yeah. So, as you may have been able to ascertain, I host a show called Fans on the Run. You can listen to it pretty much everywhere. Podcasts can be heard. iTunes, Spotify. Actually, no, iTunes doesn't exist anymore. Apple Podcasts. Uh, Google Podcasts. Amazon Podcasts. Uh, and probably a hundred other services that Podbean signed me up for. That Stitcher I, and all that. Well, I, I had to manually uh, get on Stitcher. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm available on Stitcher, too. And you can uh, find me on YouTube at Ethan Alexanian, where I put all the videos. And I'm worried about copyright, so that's where you can find, if I do ever venture outside the realm of my own theme music, that's where those are the versions you're going to find. Ethan, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been been really fun. No problem. I'm I'm finally glad that I was able to have someone on to cover you know what what otherwise would have been just a, a very minor episode of just me kind of going oh yeah this was this album blah 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 and you've helped spice it up and yeah, make it a lot, we, a lot we've more turned fun. it into an event an event you know a legend yeah. that will last a lunchtime yeah a living legend that will live long after lots of other living legends have died I may have made both of those jokes in the very last episode but oh well folks and well, that's the price to pay for Ruttles, def, 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 yeah. def, definitely. And that's it, folks. That's been another episode of Paul or Nothing. I've been Sam. This has been Ethan Alexane from the Fans on the Run podcast. I am sure Danny Lane and No Words has already been playing us out for some time with that wonderful copyright music. But hey, folks, keep listening to Paul. Stick around. We've got lots of all other free content coming out in the near future. Peace and love, peace and love. Harry, Harry, Krishna. No autographs. <laughs> the world also glass I'm warning you with peace and love. Take care, everyone. Bye bye.